Well, what a good day together already, isn't it? I mean, so good. Worship was so good today. That new singer on the worship team, she's something else. <laughs> In case you're like, what are you talking about? That's my daughter. She's 15. No, no big deal. <laughs> the apple does not call, fall far from the tree. I'm talking about my wife. Um, anyway, thankful for the day. I'm thankful for already what's occurred today. And I believe God um, is not only on the move in this church, and he's on the move constantly, I know, around the world, but I, I do believe he's doing things in this church. And even today as we gather, I'm sitting there going, man, you're already speaking, you're already, you're already, you're already telling us things, and I know some of you have already been ministered to by the Lord uh, in the different things that have happened, and, and I'm just going to pray for more, right? I'm just going to, I'm just kind of right now saying, okay, Lord, would you just continue to just push into wherever we're at right now and just speak to us? And so, um, we mentioned last week, and, and this is not an announcement, although it, it will feel like one, it's really oh, the heart of even where we're headed today, but I mentioned uh, last week um, an event we have coming up called A Day With on November 15th, and, and I just wanted to touch, touch on it briefly because this is a day that I hope you're in prayer for. Um, we've done, we're doing many things throughout the day, but specifically for our church family that night, it's a Thursday night, we're doing a 6.30 gathering, and um, really to worship and to pray, and, and we, we've invited, we don't invite a lot of guests in, not because we don't, it's usually because we don't have the money, <laughs> um, but <laughs> well, we invited a guest in, uh, my brother-in-law, um, uh, Shane Farmer, uh, his, his wife is Christy's sister, and they lead a church up in the Denver area, and uh, uh, amazing church, and, and we asked them to be here to speak on the theme of revival, because all sorts of crazy stuff is going on in their church, and I say crazy in a really, really good use of the word. Um, they're seeing all sorts of, just this last Sunday, I was talking to them this week, they had over 80 people uh, give their life to Jesus. And um, they're, they're having, when I say countless, I mean countless stories of miraculous healings. They're having um, all sorts of worship, uh, people, this kind of breakthrough in worship. And people, were, I mean, this church, just a few years ago, just to give you some context, um, was, would be one known as the frozen chosen, <laughs> if you know what that means. They literally stood there and did not sing. And uh, now there's all sorts of breakthrough happening in worship, and they can't really explain it other than it's just the work of the Lord. And and uh, so he's going to come and he's going to share some of the stories, but also just encourage us because in many ways there's some parallel things happening here um, in a different context in a different way. But um, but we just thought he would be a huge encouragement to the work that God is doing. And it's not just about him being here. We believe us gathering that day uh, earlier in the day. A lot of church leaders will be on our church. Um, gathering to pray for these sorts of things. And so anyway, I don't do this a lot, but I would say, please, please, please mark your calendar and don't miss this, all right? And which means we have two services and most services are full. I don't know what's going to happen. So if everybody comes, um, it'll be really, really comfortable in here, <laughs> right? So anyway, uh, let's, we're, this really flows into what we're talking about today. Um, because we are talking about Jesus and how Jesus changed everything about everything. And I want to look at John chapter 6. If you have a Bible, you can get there. We're going to, go to, we're going to start in verse 1. And this is a passage that I've taught on a few times uh, over the years. And, but every time I look at it, every time I teach it, there's so much going on. And it's a, it's a story that everybody knows. But it's one that every time I encounter it, I, I receive something new or I, I experience something new. Um, and there's just so much that Jesus is teaching us and revealing to us through this story. And this morning, we're just going to touch on a couple of those things because, like I said, there's just too many to talk about in one, one setting. But we'll just, we'll just read the story again, um, one that many of you are familiar with. John chapter 6, starting in verse 1. 
It it says, sometimes after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples, which we talked about last week, how he often did, right? He's with the crowds, and then he's now with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already knew what he had in mind and what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another, uh, another of his disciples, Andrew, which is Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There's plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He He did the same with the fish. And when they had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. So Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly why he has 12 baskets. He knows everything, right? And here's the thing. Jesus performs a miracle, and it's one of epic proportions, isn't it? I mean, he has fed with just a little bit of food thousands and thousands of people. The scriptures say 5,000 men. Most scholars believe it was probably 15 to 20,000 because if you included women and children, there's at least that many people and he feeds all of them everything they wanted. This is one of those miracles that you're like, we kind of lose the wonder of it. It's like a child's children's story. Like, oh yeah, that's so amazing. Jesus, you know, he just distributed. Like this is a miraculous moment in the scriptures where Jesus does something um, that of course has never been done. And it says that Jesus, and this, this story is so significant, it's recorded in all the Gospels, and, it's, and you get different details from each one. And uh, it says that Jesus, when he saw them, he has compassion on them. He had been doing ministry all day. He had been healing the sick. He had been, he had been doing quite a bit of things. He'd been teaching them. And then all of a sudden, uh, depending on which version you're reading, the disciples come up to him and say, hey, it's getting late in the day. Maybe we should send everybody home, right? He's like, maybe this is, you, you, they're going to get hungry. We should send them home. And he's like, ah, I got a different idea. I got a different idea. And he says this, instead of saying, let's pack up, in verse 5, he says, where can we get some bread for these people? And I've always enjoyed these moments with the disciples. You know what I mean? Like these moments that are just kind of like, they have to be thinking, uh, what? <laughs> so there's like the 12, like, just dumbfounded, stupid stares looking at them. And they're like, so what are you saying? <laughs> there are thousands of people here. What are you saying, Jesus? Philip chimes in. You remember what he said? We just read it, but he says, we can't afford that. We're pastors. (laughs) And then one of the disciples is Andrew. He speaks up and says, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. Now, I'm going to submit something today that this was Wonder Bread today. Um, Bad joke. This kid holds up his lunch, probably his lunch for his family. He holds up this, this little bit of fish, and he offers this lunch as a solution to this humongous problem. And, I, and I've always loved this, this small detail in the story. And I say small, it's probably not that small, but it's a small detail in the story that he was giving what he had to help meet this humongous need, if you want to call it a need. And, and I love that Andrew is like, yeah, here's, here's five loaves. I mean, he spoke up, right? I mean, 
there's a piece of even Andrew in this story. It's like he literally, like, there's thousands of people. He's like, well, you know, I mean, there's, there is these five loaves and two fish. I mean, could that get us started? And, and so the boy's like, yeah, you can have it. And Andrew's like, maybe we should think about this. And this boy and the disciple, Andrew, they believed that's, that whatever they had was worth being offered in this moment. They knew it wasn't close enough to what was needed, but it was still worthy to be given. And, and, and I just want to submit something today. I want to submit that this is actually how, this is how revivals begin. This is how great moves of God begin. This is how miracles start to happen. This is where the fire of those sorts of things begins. It begins by offering what you have and trusting that Jesus can do a lot more with it than you can. It begins with saying, Jesus, what I have right now is yours. Do whatever you want with it. You can have it all, Jesus. This is, this is where those sorts of things begin. And sometimes, sometimes what we have isn't that much, is it? But I just want to remind us today, Jesus does the most with the least. He does it over and over again. God has always done a lot with a little. That's just the way he works. You think about the stories in the scripture. You think about how Jesus, or God in this, in this instance, saved the world through one family of Noah with one boat, right? We have that story. We have how through one man of Daniel and his faith, he not only shut the mouths of lions, but he changed the heart of a king. You can even see how Jesus spoke to one woman, a Samaritan woman, and it ended up changing a whole town. Or how Jesus took 12 disciples. He's always, always done a lot with a little, right? He took 12 disciples and he started a worldwide movement and revival called the church that we still exist today, celebrating Jesus because he started with a little and he did a lot. In today's world, I believe we not only have to remember this amazing truth, but we have to put our, we have to put our hope in it. Uh, I think many of us, we do feel, and, and maybe this is going to touch like right where you are, we feel ill-equipped, unprepared, maybe inadequate, for God to do something powerful through us. Most of us, we just don't feel like God's going to use us to do the miraculous, if you will. I want to read a quote to you from a guy named Rick Joyner who wrote a book called The, 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 the World on Fire. And he said this, When God decides that he's going to move, he does not look for those who are wise or educated enough. He looks for those who are yielded and humble enough to risk following him. And, and I, I read that and I go, am I, am I someone who is yielded enough to God that I'm yielded to trusting him with what I have instead of trusting myself? How many believe that there is power in the name of Jesus? <laughs> I felt like that was like, like the obvious question. How many of you guys believe that there's power in the name of Jesus? Yeah, yeah, of course we do. There's power in the stories of what God is doing Power in the Victoria's story, power in the stories of what's happening at Hope House, power in the stories of what's happening up in Denver at Cherry Hills, power of the stories of what's happening here. And I get to tell our story about our church every once in a while. And the other day, someone asked, our, uh, someone asked me, what's the story of your church? And so I kind of broke it down. I told him a little bit. And he goes, now, how old is your church again? And I said, it's five years. He goes, man, so much has happened in five years. I was like, brah, you don't even get, you don't even know. I just scratched the surface. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't even know, like, what's happened is unbelievable, and I get, like I said, I get to tell the story of our church and what's, God, what's going on in it. But I, I received an email um, the other day. It was a couple, I guess it's been almost two weeks ago now. I received an email and ended up calling this person back because the email was so uh, important. And it was from a woman in Ardmore uh, who was on the leadership team of a church. 
and they were, had just purchased a building in downtown Ardmore, the metropolis of, of Ardmore, right? And, uh, and they had run into some challenge and difficulties with their neighbors <laughs> and uh, about some things that, that we dealt with here three years ago um, about churches being within proximity to bars. Um, and some of you know the story, so I'll do it really quick, but some of you haven't. There's a law in Oklahoma that churches and schools can't be within 300 feet of a bar. And, uh, and so in recent years, this was originally created to protect schools uh, and churches in some way or, or form. But in recent years, it's sort of flipped in the redevelopment of, of downtown districts and, and urban areas in which it's really become a deterrent to churches and a, very, a big challenge for churches to get into those spaces because nobody wants them to be in there because they are seen as a liability to the development because of the potential that a new bar may want to come in and they wouldn't be able to come in because of the existence of a church. You get it, right? And so we ran into this here, of course, and, and uh, I won't pack all, and unpack all of it, but... Long story short is we created a way for churches that may want to be in urban areas that get the fact that, you know, if you want to be in areas in which you have neighbors that are really close to you, you might have to have neighbors that aren't like you or at least do different things than you. And so, therefore, we created a way, even though it's not um, created by the law, we created a different way to allow these sorts of things to happen where we believe that the fabric of every community is going to be made up of all sorts of different types of establishments, businesses, and people. Are you with me now? So we created a way, and a lot of you know this, but anyway, our story, um, we gave them advice about how to legalize all these things. And in case you're curious and you don't know our story, our church uh, building is, uh, our church is legally just a group of, pe- group of people, and our building is legally just a building. And so therefore, the church is actually just you, legally, which I like. That's like a beautiful thing. It's like, oh yeah, that's the way I think it's supposed to be. And so, um, anyway, therefore, we have a bar next door to us. And I only say that to say, this is the third church in Oklahoma that has called us to say, how did you do that? And we've been able to tell them. And I believe the reason, the reason is, is, is pure and right. It's like, we believe loving your neighbor has been at the heart of this church from the beginning. And it's all the way down to how we legally operate. And God's just done that. God gives us a story that's bigger than us, doesn't he? It's a story that when we tell it, you're like, you don't understand. And that's just one part of our story. But when I think about all that's happening through the things like our Bringing Life initiatives with local schools or with Loving Your Neighbor and other things, I think it's amazing when I think about the breakthrough that's happened, the healings that have happened just in the last few months. It's actually a bit overwhelming. There are days and times that I look around at all that God is doing, and I, and I sort of shake my head. And I remember when my mom said to me once, she said, these sorts of stories happen to other people. They don't happen to us. And I thought, that's, yet yeah, here we are, right, in the middle of one, right? And I've told you many, many times that Christy and I never wanted to plant a church. Um, it just wasn't something we wanted to do. It wasn't something that seemed a lot, like a lot of fun. And I don't know, I'll let you decide if, if I was right or not about the fun piece, but um, we, ne- we never dreamed of any of this, but I always like to throw on, but I also never thought I'd have a minivan. <laughs> God does crazy things. We never thought we'd do any of this, but, and I throw this heart, this thing that you've heard me say many times in the middle of this, because, because I think it's really important to hear some things today, but the gospel will call you to do things you thought you'd never do. We say that all the time here. The gospel calls you to love things you never even knew you wanted to love. And 
I have a deep belief that the gospel will not only lead you to live a better life, but it's a life that you never saw coming. Never, we never saw this coming, any of this. And, 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 and there's some truth in the fact that this isn't the story that we expected. I say that because I want you to hear something inside of all that. There are days that I don't feel, and I'm speaking to myself, and then it, it, and then, but it's really all of us. So as I say I, it's we. There are days that I don't feel adequate, qualified, good enough to do what God's called me to do. And I'm not even talking about being a pastor. I'm talking about being a husband. To love my wife as Christ loved the church. To be the father that God has called me to be. To raise up my children in the way they should go so that they may be fully devoted followers of Jesus. Are you kidding me? To be a disciple of Jesus who goes and makes disciples. There are days that I don't feel adequate, prepared, strong enough to do what God's called me to do. There's a moment when Jesus gave some instructions to his disciples to go and do ministry. Do you guys remember this amazing passage, Matthew 10, verse 7? He says, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Anyone feel ready for that one? Anyone prepared or courageous enough to go cleanse the lepers? I barely have the courage to go learn my neighbor's names. You know what I'm saying? Like to walk across the street and say, hey, man. I know your name's not man. What's your name again? We talked last week about the Great Commission, like to go and make disciples. Like most of us struggle for that to be our story. I find myself procrastinating and avoiding the things that I feel like are bigger than me. There's a tendency in me to believe that I'm not ready or courageous enough to do some things. There's a tendency in me to believe that that story is not for me, it's for them. That that story is not for me, it's one that I'm supposed to read about in some book that someone else did. Anyone ever feel that? And you're like, what are you saying? Well, on one hand, I've just said I'm really, I'm really, there's a lot of gratitude about all that God has done in this place. And on the other hand, I feel inadequate to be a part of something bigger than myself. Isn't it weird how our mind plays tricks, right? You ever feel like those amazing stories of breakthrough in God's power are for someone else? Anyone ever feel that? Anyone ever find themselves just living a life and doing the things that have to be done instead of the things that could be done? I guess what I'm saying is um, God has been good and we can point to the testimonies of his goodness and we are grateful. Yet I do think it's right for us to be hungry for more. Not in a selfish, greedy way that says, I want more for me, but understanding that Jesus coming and more of Jesus coming is all so we can experience, it's all so we can experience more of God so God can, God can, more people can experience the God that we know to be the true and rightful king of this world. 
We live in a world that needs spiritually faithful people who are genuine and humble and courageous. Do you understand our world needs that? Today, the weight of the world is pretty heavy. The news can cause the best of us to be a bit overwhelmed. Anybody been keeping up with the news? Political hatred, mass shootings, terrorist threats. The headline on CNN this morning was 72 hours in America, three hate-filled crimes. Just this week, bombs in the mail, right? A mass shooting at a Jewish synagogue yesterday, which, by the way, as Christians who are people of peace and love, we must stand against all forms of hatred and stand for love and peace. The weight of the world is real. Not even to mention just the natural disasters, right? It's like, are we going to see another hurricane, another flood? Are we gonna, I mean, there's just something, it seems like, every day. Families falling apart, career stress, financial challenges. It's real, and it's something that literally feels like the weight of the world on a lot of our shoulders. And we continue to try to keep going in life. And so I'm talking about this courageous, faith-filled life. And you're like, yeah, but the weight of the world, Tim, you don't get it. It hits me in the face every day. Me too. We will not be able to overcome the world and all the trouble of this world. But, just so you know, Jesus can. Look at, look at what he said to his disciples. He says, I don't think this is on the screen, but in John 16, 33, he said, in this world you will have trouble. Anybody have trouble? But take heart, because I have overcome the world. The truth is, most of us are just like this boy with the bread and the fish. Compared to the need or to the challenge, it feels, it feels insurmountable, right? But we have something to offer. But for a lot of us, we've never seen any value to what we have to offer. Or maybe, just maybe, you never thought that you should actually give what you have to offer and that it would lead to a story of Jesus doing more, Jesus doing the miraculous. And so most of us, if we get really honest... We don't imagine God using us in any significant way for his kingdom. We just don't see us as being the person that brings something to the table that's very important. And I know I'm speaking the truth for many of us. So instead, this is what we've, this is what we've summarized Christian life to be. Instead, we've traded in all that stuff we read about in the Bible to a life of just learning more about Jesus, to a life of just being committed to a church, and fellowshipping with other Christians. I love all three of those things. But man, that's boring compared to the life that Jesus wants to give us. That is not the life Jesus wants to give us. And most of us think that's what Christianity is. Believing in a God like the one we leave in the, read in the scriptures is a nice thought but a difficult reality because we tell ourselves God doesn't work in the same way. Really, are you sure? God doesn't use people the way he did then, now. Are you sure? Are you sure that that's, that's reality? Because I've seen some things, and I think you have too. We've got to remember, he often does the most with the least. I don't want to put a thought on screen for you. God is not looking for people who can do it all. He's looking for people who are willing to give it all. And that's what I think about when I think about this, this story of the boy and the fish. He could not do it all. He didn't even have it all. But he's willing to give it all. And when you give him all you are and all you have, he takes your five loaves and he multiplies it. 
your two fish, and he multiplies it. It's a heart of saying, Lord, you can have it all. It's, that's what the heart is, right? That you can, you can do more with it than I can ever do, so Father, would you just do it? Would you just take what I have? One more thought I want to throw on the screen for you. <laughs> Sometimes we have to just be faithful enough to believe that the little we have to offer is all that Jesus is looking for. We feel so inadequate because we don't feel like we have a lot to give, but I'm telling you, sometimes all you got to believe is that the little you have to offer is all that Jesus is looking for. This is what Andrew believed. This is what Andrew believed, right? The disciple. This is what the boy believed, that the little they had to offer was worth it. And that's all Jesus needed to bring heaven to earth. That's all he needed. He just needed someone that was willing to offer what they had. So I'm saying all this, God wants to do more. He wants to do more. He can do more. He wants to do more in and through you. And we have to ask him, will I trust him with what I have? And you're like, what, what, what that's a big category. I get it. Maybe you have a passion though. And it's time for you to say, you know what? It's time for me to quit trying to just put this thing on the back burner, but it's to say, Lord, I'm going to give you this passion. I'm going to ask you to do something and multiply it. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a, it could be anything. It could be gift you have. It could be the things that you have. It could just be you to say, Lord, okay, I've, not, I've, I've truly just been trusting myself and it's time to trust you. God is not looking for people who can do it all. Not, he's not asking you to do it all. He's not asking you to work harder. He's not, he's asking you, are you willing to give it all? And when you give it all, I'll multiply it and it won't feel like a burden to you. It won't feel like a weight on your shoulders anymore. Because you know what? You cannot overcome the world, but I can. That's what Jesus is saying. You can't fix the problems. You can't take care of that thing that keeps pressing down on you. But if, if, and only if, you say, Lord, I can't do it. So you can have it all because I trust you. Well, that's when the miracle happens. On Monday, our team had a great opportunity to go and spend a day with a couple other church staffs. We were, we were with uh, our friends at Summit Church. Some of you know who Summit Church is, and we were also with a friends um, up in Tulsa at Redeemer Church. And we spent the day together as just kind of a development day for our teams to be together, uh, pray and encourage one another. And we were talking about prayer needs for each other's churches, and we were just, they were like, what's a prayer need for us? And so I just decided to share the four corporate prayers that we've had as a church family since, since March. And just as a review, I said, so we've been praying sort of out of Acts, the first few chapters of Acts, um, what we saw when God sort of released the work of the church, we saw the spirit come upon the people like fire. So we've been praying for that. We saw an evangelistic outpouring when Peter spoke to the crowds and 3000 came to know him. So we've been praying for salvations. And we've also see healings that started to happen when John and, Philip, or John and Peter and others started doing healing. So we've been praying for healings to, of all sorts to happen in our church. And we've been praying um, for personal breakthrough of any sort, like all different types of breakthrough to just happen in people's lives. And they were like, well, okay. So then they started praying. And one of my friends who's a pastor at someone, he just started praying this prayer. And it, it was really, it stood out to me because it was, it was what I needed. And I think it's what we all need. And he prayed this. He said, Lord, would you give them patience? Would they not lose heart? Will the things they've been praying for, will they believe that they that you're not done and that you are going to do them. Would you give them a patient, steadfast spirit to believe that you wanna give them more 
And he was just saying these words and I was like, it's exactly what I needed to hear because I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm praying about something for a long time and it hasn't happened as quick as I want to happen, I'm like, maybe I need to change my prayer. Maybe I need to like go a different direction. And I start trusting my own self and my own instinct. You know what I'm saying? I think for a lot of us today, we need to be patient that when we give him what we have, we need to be patient for the work that he wants to give us. Trust him. Today, I'm hopeful and I want this to be a time of encouragement. I wanted you to be encouraged today because I believe Jesus wants to put you smack dab in the middle of a miracle. Jesus uses those who are willing to give all they have and all they are. And there's a song we sing a lot around here called Have It All, that you would just, Lord, take every part of me. We have it all. So today, I want you to just think, even as we're about to pray, what is something you need to say, Lord, it's not much, but I want to give it to you. It's my five loaves and two fish. Lord, I can't, I can't do this. I need to trust you with this. For a lot of us, it's a hard question. It takes us a while to get there, to get it. You may have to sit with it all week, and I would encourage you to do that. But if you bow your heads, close your eyes, I want you to begin right now. I want you to begin right now. Just asking him or even thinking in your own heart, what's the thing, what's the little I have that I need to trust him with right now? It may be a really, really good thing, by the way. A really, really good thing that you have, that you do, that you can bring to the world. And you need to say, Lord, I'm trusting you with it to multiply this and to make it bigger than me. It's not about me, it's about you. So can you make this bigger than me? And it could be a really, really good thing that you need to give to him. Or it could be a really, really hard thing you're walking through that you've been trying to tackle on your own. And if it's that, let the words that he gave to the disciples be your encouragement today. Your world will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So today, if it's the really, really hard thing that you need to trust him with, would you just declare that to him right now and say, Lord, this is what it is. I need you, I need to trust you in this, I need to quit trying to fix it on my own. Holy Spirit, we just pray right now. We just pray for your spirit to come into this room and just sort of fill every square inch and every crack and every place in such a way that, Lord, as you surround us with your presence, that, Lord, we would be able to hear more clearly the things that are really in our heart Father, we'd be able to discern in our spirit and in things within us, the things that we need to think about today, the things that we need to be aware of today. Would you give us a presence of mind, not in our own intellect, but that, that Lord, your spirit reveals to us. And so I pray that right now, that Father, we would, we would see things clearly right now as a way of saying, Lord, we want you to have it all in our life. So God, I pray for each and every person in here, God, that Lord, they would, they would feel that encouragement today from you to say, Lord, we know that you can do more. And so Lord, we give it to you, not 
in any other way other than this trust. So God, we pray this in the name of Jesus.